Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it's no different. I have Mrs. Zena Cater with me. Zena, welcome to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. It is my uh, absolute pleasure, Zena. Um, before we get into what you're currently working on and what you're currently involved in, take me back in time. Who was Zena as a young lady at school? Oh. Young Zena, she was she was a lot. Uh, so I was actually born overseas. I was born in France originally, and I came to the United States when I was about four or five. Uh, and being a kid that grew up in rural North Carolina uh, under African French parents, um, and also being black, I had to learn a lot about the culture around me. So I was a very observant child but I was also a very out there child. I wanted to prove that I was smart. I wanted to prove that I was a good person and a good friend. And so I got involved in everything. Uh, I was in every single club that I could be involved in. I was president of things. Uh, I did a lot as a young girl. <laughs> awesome. And take me through, through that journey of going through school and graduating and getting to your current position. Sure. So because I was doing a lot, I never took the chance or took the time to really find out what it was that I really, really wanted to do or that I was really, really passionate about. I was always the type of person that people said, oh, you'd be really good at this. And so I try it. And then I try something else. And so as I went through school, I just did a bunch of different things. And once I got to college is when I got a chance to really kind of dig into something that was interesting for me and important for me, uh, which was sports. I played college basketball at Yale University. But I, it wasn't even just playing college basketball that was cool for me. I got a chance to work with our Yale Daily News, our multimedia desk, and I would report on our volleyball games. I'd report on our softball games and, and do video on our soccer games. Um, I'd write segments on different things around sports, um, particularly one around concussions. Uh, so I got to really talk about sports more than just in the way that I played, but really find out more about it. And so... That experience for me was really important to see, okay, I don't know what I want to do in sports, but I want to be involved in it long term. Wow. Um, so you went through college, and from my understanding, you studied at Yale, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to Yale University undergrad, uh, studied anthropology, which was a major that kind of helped me put words to why all these different types of cultures were impacting who I was and what that looked like. Uh, and so really I was blessed to have a major that I didn't go do anything with, <laughs> but, but, uh, like I said, my college experience was a, a really big portion of a part of discovery for me, discovering what I like, discovering more about me. Uh, and so once I figured out that I wanted to be in sports, that's when I decided to go to Wake Forest for business school and take that year to really hone some skills that I could use in the world of this in sports business. And what happened after you graduated? From Yale or Wake Forest? Wake Forest. 
from Wake Forest. So during the year at Wake Forest, I just, I networked like crazy. Uh, I informational interviewed everyone I could to find out what I could do in sport, to find out what it meant to be in sport, uh, as well as other industries. But uh, after I graduated from Wake Forest, I got the opportunity to go work for the Miami Dolphins. I started in their sales team originally. Uh, I was in their group sales team, which was an awesome, fun team. And it was a really great time because group sales really has to work with a lot of different departments in order to curate a fun experience that people want to buy. And so I got to, you know, hang out with the, the entertainment group and our dance team and got to hang out with our community relations group and all these different portions of the organization. And I realized while group ticket sales wasn't my thing, I still really wanted to be there, uh, but I just wanted to find the right opportunity. So I got a chance to, uh, after my first season, I switched over to corporate partnerships in which everything changed. That, that was the way that I was able to meld together all the things I love to do, which was talk to people, interact with people, and, and build relationships with people, to think strategically about business, brands, uh, creatively about how to market a brand, how to marry them together, in which it makes sense for a consumer. Uh, and then third, you know, do the kind of gritty business stuff of negotiating, right, and figuring out what assets make sense, what numbers make sense, what term lengths make sense. And it was so much fun because it was all stuff I didn't know. I'd never done anything like this. There was nothing in my major that could have prepared me for something like this. So I felt like I was back in school all over again. And um, going into corporate partnerships was perfect because I still got to do what I love to do in ticket sales, which is work with all the other departments and learn the business more peripherally uh, as it had to do with what I was doing particularly in partnerships. It's, it's very it's very different to studying and reading it from a book A when you're actually living it day in, day out and doing it um, and doing it at a level where the, the enterprise is worth billions of dollars. So every single deal counts a ton. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah, yeah. Especially, I you know, after the Miami Dolphins, I went over to the Golden State Warriors right as they were opening a new arena. And the the switchover was insane, right? I was a coordinator at the Miami Dolphins, and I had a lot of partnerships, but they were small level. And then I'm going to the Golden State Warriors, and obviously they're the most, at the time, especially, they're the most visible team in the NBA, period, um, having had the success they had in the last five years. And so when you have that level of visibility, you have that level of prestige, the types of partnerships you're doing match that, right? So anything I was doing in Miami was, you know, pennies in comparison to what I was doing and looking to do at, at Golden State Warriors. And um, it, it, was a, it was great because the Miami Dolphins really prepared me to be able to do what I did at the Golden State Warriors, which was jump right in. Figure it out. Like they threw me in the fire at the Miami Dolphins, and and my bosses and my and my team really helped me learn there. And then when I got to the Golden State Warriors, it was like, oh, I've done this before, and I had a really good supporting. I have a really good supporting cast around me now to be able to do the same thing. And we have done some amazing things in the last two years, and we'll see what happens in the new normal. <laughs> what does the life of a manager of partnership development at the Golden State Warriors? look like from day to day like what do you do oh so many different things it it varies so 
it depends also on the time. So let's start with the time of year. So if we're in the middle of season, um, you can see me, you can bet that I'm at my desk in front of someone else in a different department, uh, setting up an activation, running around at a game. Like in the middle of season, we're just moving. We're activating the things that we promised the partners. We're making sure that everyone that is involved in making those things happen are in lockstep. They're under, like everyone's on the same page. So that's my job. Um, and that's that season. It's just a lot of games and a lot of communication. Um, in preseason, we have we're doing a lot of preparation. So that's when you're seeing me going to our partners more to meet with them face to face to sit down, walk through the plan for the season, ideate around what we want to do. If you've got a community program, but it's not very specific in the contract, all right, awesome. Let's sit down and think about what we want to do. Maybe I'll pull in someone from community relations to join me on this meeting, or maybe I'll pull in someone from tickets to join me on this meeting. Whatever it is, um, we are preparing, and we're also in front of the client a little bit more um, from the business sense. Postseason is wrapping it all up talking again with the partners, making sure that, hey, this is what we did this year. Did it work? What didn't work? What can we change for next year? If we are ending a partnership, and that means we're in the process of negotiating uh, for a new partnership, or if it's in some cases, it may be that we're bringing on new partners, right? Um, and so I'm being introduced to new partners and getting prepared for the next season ahead. So throughout the course of the year, it's a lot of emails, a lot of in-person meetings, a lot of coordinating between departments, um, we're master, master interlocutors. We talk between groups. We make sure groups are in the same, on the same page to get to a final end result. Um, and we juggle a lot of those conversations at the same time. And so if you want to be a good partnership development manager, uh, you will have to have amazing communication skills. You will have to be able to manage a lot of different personalities and be able to get a lot of a, a bunch of different goals and objectives on the same page uh, because your digital team may want to do something that your client doesn't want to do and your client may want to do something that your community relations team doesn't want to do and you've got to find a way to get them all on the same page so take me through some of the way some of the brands that that i mean that you guys get involved with you're in you're 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 not too far away from the tech hub of the world probably your backyard I asked the same question to the uh, partnerships manager at the 49ers, actually. And 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 the, the one thing that intrigues me is I know that sporting teams, they attract everyone, especially the, the major sporting teams. So you've got the biggest uh, software companies in the world, the biggest social media platforms in the world, you know, all there, basically. They're all just a, a stone throw away. How do these companies get involved with you guys? How is that giving you guys the upper hand, especially when it comes to partnerships with, uh, with metrics being so easily measurable nowadays with these third-party tools? I mean, every team's looking for that little upper hand that they can get. How, how have these guys, local international companies, basically come through and, and, and giving you guys that, you know, the advantage that, uh, that other teams don't, don't really, really have? Sure. Uh, I will say first and foremost, you know, cannot deny the fact that winning helps. You know, 
being a successful team on the court obviously attracts some attention. Um, and, and people want to be associated with winning. They want to be associated with success. So that is number one um, as far as having a lot, a lot of partnership success um, that teams experience after winning a championship, et cetera. But with that being said, one of the things that I love most about our team um, as far as like we're able to see a lot of what other parts of our team do. So I'm in partnership development, which means I activate partnerships and I remove partnerships. But we have a sales team that's specifically responsible for going out and finding new clients. And they are very transparent and telling us a little bit more about their process. We've even gone through um, and we're going through a departmental like meeting in which we're learning their process. How do they seek new clients? How do they attract them? Send out emails, send out LinkedIn requests, whatever it is. Um, and they're teaching us their process as to attracting new clients and, and, and potential prospects. So in, in seeing how they do that, one thing I've learned is that we're very patient. Um, we are, are, are willing to, to wait for the right partner uh, rather than just do a deal just to do one. We're willing to wait for the right partner, and we're also willing to wait for the right time to bring in a partner. So maybe a, a partner doesn't make sense at the moment because of another partner that might be in the mix. But if that partner leaves and a space opens up and it makes more sense for this new prospect to come in and fill that space, awesome. That makes sense, and we'll do that at that time. But we're very strategic, and we're very uh, patient in the way that we seek new new prospects. Another thing that's important is that our, our team is creative. They won't do your typical cold call or cold email um, as much. Don't get me wrong. It's still probably in that mix somewhere. But they will find through agencies, through old contacts, through friends of friends, uh, will find a way to get talking with someone at a particular company um, and have some brainstorming calls. It's a lot of the times you'll see, and I think most teams are on this level now, but in the past you would see, hi, my name is X, Y, and Z, and I want to tell you about this, and I want to do this, and we're really good at this, and it's all I, 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 as opposed to what you'll see sales teams start doing now, which is, I saw this article about your organization. I really love what you guys are doing in this space. I'd love to see how we can help you accentuate, you know, aggrandize whatever it is that you're doing. Like these, that's how our sales team approaches our prospects is, is you know, what are the synergies and how can we help you really bring your brand to the forefront? And I think that brands recognize that in us and they appreciate it. And then the last thing is, we have a track record. You know, when you get one tech company on board and you see success, you see their impact in the market, you see the types of programs we're running with them, you see the integration that we have with them into our actual core business rather than just the sponsorship. They, we actually use their products. Tech companies will talk. Tech companies will be interested. It'll be easier for us to, to sell our brand to them because they've seen it, you know, successfully work for other partners. So I think patience, creativity, um, and then also following up on the promise and the value that you want to you know, present partners is what kind of sets us apart and gets people attracted to the warrior. Um, activation for partners uh, nowadays can be a very, very tough task. You have social media, you have 
your applications, you have your internet, uh, sorry, your website, you have your game day stuff, your, your community stuff. But you also have t t 20 plus teams do doing, doing the same thing. And then you also have uh, with NFL teams, they got 60 to 120 partners that they have to please. Um, and NBA teams, I'm sure they're, they're not far off that. How do you guys balance that? I mean, that's that's insane. <laughs> yes, as someone that is on partnership activation, I can so I can attest to yes, it can be insane at times. Uh, on our team, and even when I was with the Dolphins, both of my leaders were of the mindset of less is more, and so rather than just doing every single deal that's humanly possible that's out there just to be able to take someone's money, it was very strategic. And that's the only type of approach to partnerships I've really been exposed to. And for that reason, I feel uh, fortunate that I haven't had to deal with 60 partners that are just slapping signs on buildings. And, you know, it's a lot of tedious work for no return. Um, so it is a lot to balance. And, but when you see that it works, when you when you pull off a successful digital content series that attracts a lot of impressions and a lot of engagement for a client and they and they see return on that it, it makes it easier to do the next one right like you you can bring your experience from that one digital concept series to the next one so it gets easier another thing is when you're all doing it we've got we have one of the biggest activation teams in the nba and we're all doing it and we're all working with our partners on these big activations we're able to help each other out uh, i don't know how many times i've been able to say hey, who's already gone through this sort of community program? Or who's put through a in-market promotion like this? And you templatize a little bit, right? You customize it, obviously, for your partner, but it's an easier starting point because someone's already seen success with this template, and you can bring that to your partner. So when you have that sort of support system around you and you have track records of success with other partners, it's a lot easier to be able to do all those millions of activations in a way that it's still efficient and it gets done and um, and it's successful. Awesome. Um, so you've been through a, a couple of NBA teams now. You're you're a young lady in a very male dominated um, industry. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you, uh, it's. Um, I'm sure the journey would have been interesting. Take me through some of the challenges that you faced along the way. Yeah, I mean, the boys club, right? The boys club is, is a tough one where I, I, I still vividly remember. I mean, think about this, for example. I grew up a single mother home, just myself and my sister in North Carolina. We're also immigrants. I had never been to a professional American football game before I worked for the Miami Dolphins. And I have to sell tickets for them, right? Like I'm literally selling a product that I grew up for 23 years and did not care for it or, you know, did not spend my money to go to, never begged my mom to go to. And I had to find a way to talk about that. And that in itself was a challenge, let alone, you know, and then throw on top being a woman and having to talk about something that most people look at you and say, you don't know anything about football. You have to play. Like, well, why are you doing this? Right. Um, so it, it's definitely hard when, when you think about that being isolated in that way um, where people are talking and you feel as if 
you don't deserve to be in that conversation or they make you feel as if you don't deserve to be in that conversation. It, it definitely is tough. And one of the things that I found a lot of success with is authenticity. Is just being like, I don't know. I don't know anything about that. Like when people go talk when people talk about golfing, I don't know how to golf. I know nothing about golfing. I know that it is a like I need to learn because it's a very important business tool, especially in the United States. But people will talk about courses they've been on and 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 types of like I don't even know, like just golf terms, period. And I'm like, never heard of it. But um I'll ask questions. I'll be authentic and I'll say, I've never heard of that. I've never been. What's that like? And it gets people talking. It gets people interested in you because you're now interested in them. And it helps break down that barrier a little bit, for sure. Um, also, when you're at games and people think, oh, are you a cheerleader? <laughs> nope. I work here. You know, I work here. I have a little bit of authority here. <laughs> um, I, you know, I... Look at these names on these buildings. Like I help do some of that, right? Um, and and again, you just have to treat it with grace. And if, if there's an opportunity to teach someone something, take it with grace. Um, you, one thing I will tell you as a woman in this industry, being angry or 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 defensive won't get you far. Um, the, the way to do it is to, you know, teach people along the way, get to a position where you have authority and you have influence and you have the power to really change some structures and then disseminate that downwards towards your team or outwards, excuse me, towards your teammates, towards your people on your team, et cetera. But as you're building up, you know, being defensive about the fact that it's been this way for years and the boys club exists. And people sometimes are ignorant is is not going to open doors. So my advice is to be gracious um, or be graceful about the way that you help people learn that things are different these days. There are women involved. There are influential women in sports business, and that there's things that you can learn from them. They'll be much more receptive, I think, to that, and it will allow you to get where you need to be to be in the rooms that you need to be and the conversations you need to be. To eventually change that whole narrative, period. Nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, makes lots of sense. Three tips you can give to individuals trying to come through this same this same journey. Mm. Uh, I'll go back to that last point I made about uh, authenticity. Being yourself, being honest about what you know, what you don't know. We have seen so many examples in recent years of business executives in sports and out of sports that allow their egos to take them completely out of their game, that allow them to make mistakes that ultimately cost them their job and their reputation. And, you know, it's, it's hard to bounce back from that. And so if you can be authentic about what you know, what you don't know, what you want to do, it will get you further and people will trust you to be who you are. Um, and to do your job and to be a good teammate, and that will allow them to bring you along for the ride. If they go, you know, if they're going far, they want you to also go far. Um, so being authentic is one. Informational interviews. Even if you don't know what you want to do, even if you don't know if what someone else is doing is what you want to do, ask questions. Find a way to utilize. If you're a student, 
Utilize the fact that you're a student. Tell people, I just want to learn. If you're not a student, just say that. I just want to learn more about what you do. Because one thing I've noticed is, and you probably definitely know this doing this course uh, podcast, people like to talk about what they do and they like to talk about themselves. And, and they also like to help people if they can while doing so. So the more you informational interview and ask people about themselves, they'll be willing to share and you'll learn more about what you don't want to do and what you actually do want to do. So definitely informational interview. Um, and then lastly, be patient with yourself. It's okay if you don't know exactly what it is that you want to do. Just make a move. Make one move. It doesn't have to be the move. It doesn't be the right move. But just make a move because it will get you closer to where it is that you actually need to end up. Whether, um, you know, a lot of people say the old way of going through your career was going up the, the ladder, right? One rung by one rung by one rung, you're going up and up and up. And now a lot of people are saying it's no longer a ladder, it's the, it's the jungle gym, right? You're going from side to side, you're grasping for things to barely hold on, or you've got full grasp of something else over here, but you're going all over the place and connecting the dots to ultimately end up at your, your goal, which is the zenith of the jungle gym. But that requires you to be patient with grasping the wrong bar. Or it requires you to be patient when you slip on one, you know, one run, um, so that you can go and grasp for something else. Just make a move and just be patient with yourself. You don't have to have it all figured out. I mean, heck, I don't have it all figured out, so I'm still figuring it out myself. Yeah, uh, it gets a bit like that. Um, that's the one thing actually. You learn in life very quickly that there's 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 no script. It's um, it's a very interesting ride. Awesome. Um, Zena, you've been amazing. You've shared a ton of insight and information with us. Uh, very different to hear it coming from a, a female in the world of sports. Usually I've had a lot of male guests. Uh, hearing the perspective of a female in a male-dominated industry is very, very interesting. It's different, which is good. We like to hear all, all sides of the story. Um, before we wrap things up, let's, uh, share some social media channels where people can connect with you online, so on, so on, uh, people that want to connect with Zena, where can they connect? So on Twitter, I am at Zena Keita. So that's my name, Z-E-N-A-B-K-E-I-T-A, um, on LinkedIn, linkedin.com backslash Zena Keita. Um, on, on Instagram, I am Zena underscore B. So Z E N A underscore B E E. Um, and that's pretty much all I use. I've got to get back on my Facebook. Um, I haven't used that much since high school, but, uh, those, those three, you could definitely connect with me. Um, and then also if you connect with me and you want to connect further, we probably can set up some sort of an email exchange and eventually get a chat done. So always open to helping and talking. Uh, about sports business, especially when you're not coming from a background in which it's easy for you to get there or it's expected for you to be there. So, Very nice. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Miss Zena Cater from the Golden State Warriors, thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder Podcast. Thank you, Amon.
Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?